0: their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. Today I'm very excited for lots of reasons you're going to understand to be joined by Chief Money Badass and it still makes me laugh every time I see this on her on her resume. Chief Money Badass, let me repeat that. Vix Munro. Vix has run her own economics consultancy since 2008 and has a real passion For economics and pricing. How can you have a passion for economics? But we'll find out about that in a second. Vix now offers coaching to women and seeks to financially empower them by sharing her insights into what it takes to retire rich from every single angle. And we're going to try and prize open Vix's immense wealth of knowledge today on the Sandro Forte podcast. And I'm excited to speak to this lovely lady because I've had the pleasure of being introduced and we had a really good chat prior to the show today. And she is an amazing woman who has achieved extraordinary things in life and business. And uh, as I said, we're going to try and grab in half an hour uh, all of her knowledge and depth of experience from life in a very short space of time. Uh, Vix Munro, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. You are a busy lady. Finding the time for us is very much appreciated.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here.
0: And the first thing we have to note: beautiful accent. Tell us a little bit about you and where you're from originally, and because I mean, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't pick up that accent in Newcastle, did you?
1: No, certainly not in Newcastle. So, and to be honest, a lot of people say that. Um, well, my family say that I I don't sound New, New Zealand. I don't have a Kiwi accent anymore, but they also don't think I sound English. I think my sister says you sound really international. But in the UK, most people can pick up that I'm either New Zealand or Australian. So yeah, I'm from New Zealand, that's where I started out. I started out in small town New Zealand, um, grew up. I mean, given that I'm talking about, you know, how I became a money coach, a wealth coach, um, when I think about, you know, my my money story, my parents were really, really frugal. We had, um, we were a large family. so. We had a bit quite a lot of death in our family but most of the time we were five children um two sisters died i also had my mother die when i was 11. Uh, she was 35 which i think actually has impacted my money story in many ways because at one point, particularly in my 20s and my early 30s, I was a bit in this, you're here, we're here for a good time, not a long time. I don't know how much time I've got. And it was only really when I kind of hit 36 and I was suddenly had lived longer than my mother, I thought, oh, I better get my um act together and and start doing start doing things. Cause at that point I was in debt and just having a good time and hadn't really focused on the future. So I, you know, in terms of my money story, I have come from you know i certainly i certainly wasn't born into a rich family um, i'm certainly haven't managed managed my money well throughout my whole life in fact quite the opposite and i did have a good time though i did spend a lot of money and have a good time but when you sit you know when you later sit back and ask yourself about that like was it really that much fun well some things were and some things were a waste of money but i suppose that even from a young age i was always fascinated about money you know why some people have a lot and some some people don't And I also always wanted to travel. So part of the reason I'm here today in the UK, I remember being like 14, 15, and I'd sit down with a map of the world and I'd plan my overseas trip. You know, it'd be like, I'm in Paris for two days and then I'm gonna go to this place. And I'd honestly, you know, look at the map and plan that. So um, travel was always a passion of mine as well. And so I went to university um, after school, I studied accountancy. And then at the age of 23, I was desperate to get away from New Zealand and come traveling. So I came to the UK via Australia and Southeast Asia. So I backpacked around Southeast Asia, spent way too much money in Southeast Asia. And some of that was on, you know, taking planes when I should have got the overnight bus, the cheap bus. But anyway, it ended up that I arrived in the UK, I was 23 years old and I had 30 pounds in my pocket and I was planning to arrive with a lot more than that. So... I mean, I wouldn't want to do that now. That would be quite daunting for me now. But you know, when you're young and you're 23, full of the joys of life, what can go wrong? You know, 30 pounds, I had 30 pounds and I had a, I had a floor to sleep on, so I was okay. And at the time, I mean, this um, is over 30 years ago now. At the time, a London travel card, one and two zone, I remember that cost six pounds. So a fifth of that immediately went on a travel card. And, you know, I worked in London, I earned good money because I had an accountancy background. I made good money, I worked in the city, and then I just had temporary jobs and then I'd take off and I'd go travelling. Like, I went around Europe in a camper van, that was fun, but I spent everything I earned. And then I decided later to go back to university um, and I went back for five years and I did economics and Spanish. The degree was actually European studies. I lived in Spain for a year, that was exciting. And then I did my master's in economics and got into the corporate world. But during those university years, those five years, because, you know, I didn't kind of curtail the travel and the summer holidays and things like that, I ended up in debt. It was also, you know, student loans had been introduced by that time and I had other other debt as well. So by the time I'd finished my master's, you know, I managed to get a good job. And by that point, I wanted to buy a flat and I wanted to buy somewhere to live. I thought it was a good investment. You know, I had four sisters, I was the second oldest. My sisters all live back in New Zealand. They all owned property. I didn't, you know, I'm a bit like, oh, I need, I need to, I need to catch up. I need to catch up. So I bought a flat and I was only able to do that by um, getting a loan. Well, I think I already had a car loan and then I had to get another loan for the deposit. And I, my, my memory is, that I got the loan. And I get a bit confused between that flat and my first investment property. But anyway, a friend tells me, this is because she listened to me saying something on another podcast about this, that she actually got the loan out in her name for me, which is very nice of her, for a car loan, which is £5,000, so I could get afford the deposit for my flat. So that was a very good friend. But anyway, by that stage, I was really in debt. And I started to think, I've got to sort myself out. I've got student loans, I've got car loans, I've got loans from living the high life at university and it was kind of after that i kind of started to sort myself out um and it was also around about a few years later i turned 36 as i said which was the age at which my i was older than my mum and then in 1999 i bought my first investment property and i'd read rich dad poor dad which is came out i think in 97. And it was all about buying property. I said, Oh, I've got to get into this. I've got to get into this. So I bought property. And, you know, that's still a good book today. Anyway, so I'm taking too long. So I'm going to make this much shorter. And I was in property for about 10 years, buying just property. That was my real focus on assets and investment. I didn't buy a huge amount, not compared to what some people have today. I mean, I have around about eight properties. And, But then after about 10 years, I started thinking think I need to diversify, but I've got all my eggs in one basket. So I kind of diversified into equities, so stocks and shares, into commodities like gold and silver. And over the last, well, since 2017, also into crypto. And and then, you know, I can actually say now that, you know, my net worth is more than two million pounds. And... And I suppose what my point is, you know, I didn't get rich overnight. This was over a period of over 20 years and it's kind of, it's a get rich slow approach. But I think I'm an example of that. If you do focus on investing and investing your money that you actually can create and build wealth. And then from that, I've decided that, you know, I wanted to show other women and help other women do this too, that, you know, i would had friends that would always ask me for advice about how to deal with their money. And that's really how I got into the, the money kind of financial wealth coaching, just by wanting to help women become financially
0: empowered. You know, they do say I, mean, I have to say, I'm listening to your story, and uh it's like you and I were separated at birth, you know, five five children in a family, lots of tragedy um, at a at a very early age, didn't know about your mum and your sisters um the the love of travel and and all the experiences that that i think we learn from travel you know an appreciation yeah. of culture and community and religion and all the other things um and i've often heard it said that money is both a blessing and a curse and and from your story i think you've experienced both so was there Vic, like a light bulb moment where it got so bad you just said right enough's enough or was it just a kind of a learned experience over time and i guess my question for you is there's going to be a lot of people listening today just saying, so what Vix is saying is just go completely crazy until you're 36. <laughs> no, I'm not recommending and, and then,
1: that.
0: <laughs> and, and then get sensible. Or from your learned experience, is this is there a way to build wealth whilst not compromising on life? Because, yeah. you know, I've got two people very close to home. I won't mention their names for fear of being sued by my son and daughter. Um, but they will definitely be getting a copy of this recording because you know, I think the younger generation, no no disrespect intended, find that balance really difficult. So what do you advocate from your experiences in terms of managing money, building wealth? As you say, you didn't do it overnight, you did it over over time. Can you achieve wealth, become rich? We'll, We'll discuss the word rich in a moment. Can you do that whilst not compromising on life?
1: Well, yes, I think you can actually. And I'm going to talk about that. But I just want to answer your question about, you know, my story was a bit go crazy and then kind of get sensible. And I definitely don't recommend that. And But the reality is, I think it's something that a lot of people do. And a lot of that's to do with our money mindset. It's just that, you know, money comes in, it's got to go out, you've got to spend it on something. And now one of the things I talk about is about your financial G-spot. So your financial G-spot is that sweet place where you can spend money now and have a good time knowing that you're putting away enough money for the future because there's this constant trade-off between our current self and our future self. And I think what happens is a lot of people are so focused on feeding their current self that they forget about their future self Or you get the opposite. You get these people that scrimp and save every penny. It all gets put away for the future. And then you hear horror stories, don't you? They retire at age 65 and they die at age 66 and they had all these savings. So I'm all for having a good time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm definitely all for having a good time. But I think what I was doing, you know, when I was having my big spend, it was just spend money willy nilly. And the way I like to, to do things now is to have a fun pot you know, allocate a percentage of my money coming in to a fun pot, And then I have a percentage allocated to investment and a percentage allocated to living and a percentage allocated to giving and what did I miss? Saving, I think. But have a fun pot. So each month you have a certain amount of money to spend on fun and you know what that is. So then you need to make decisions within that. Like, would I rather have this or would I rather have that? Instead of I'm just going to have everything. And the way I do that is, you know, I love Marie Kondo Um, And I ask myself, will this bring me joy and pleasure in a Mari Kondo kind of way? Like on a scale of one to 10, how much joy or pleasure will this give me? And if it's high, like a nine or 10, buy it for my fun pot. If it's not, don't buy it. I mean, and I think when I look back at the time I was spending money, I was probably spending money on some things that were three or two. And then you say, well, that's not really aligned with my values and what I want out of life. So I think there is a way. But I think the thing is that what we have to do is look at, you know, we have income coming in and we have money going out. And obviously we have to live within our means. That's clearly important. But it's also about deciding what you want. And if you're not putting away enough for the future, you may need to reduce your expenses or even better, increase your income. So one of the things I see a lot of personal finance experts do is talk about, always focus on reducing outgoings, reducing spending. And I'm like, well, actually... You can also increase income. And particularly as an entrepreneur, there's obviously more opportunities as an entrepreneur to increase your income. You know, if you decide I need an extra 10, let's make it easy, an extra £12,000 per year, that's £1,000 a month, that's £250 a week. What can you do? What can you sell to bring in an extra £250 a week? So I think increasing income is another way to do it that allows you to um, find your financial G-spot.
0: One of the things, the reason I was so excited in my introduction to Fix, and I think people have started to pick up on this already, is the fact that you make complicated simple. And I'm not, I'm not patronising you in any way, no disrespect at all intended. But already, what I've heard is, you know, this this concept of building a fun pot, and I love this this um, this idea of aligning um, money with the things that you enjoy. I know loads of people who spend money. And it's a three or a two, to use your to use your analogy, mm. not the nine or the ten. So about aligning those values, and and I love the word want. I hear that all the time. You know what you want is always going to be greater than what you need. Um, so you've got to get that balance. I mean, in in my particular day job, I come across the 65-year-old people who are multimillionaires and die the next day um, and and leave it all behind. You know, for some for somebody else. Great for the beneficiary, not so great for the person who spent exactly. their entire life making sacrifices. Um, so, the I'm, I'm interested to know that uh, you know your background and and some of your life's experiences. Whereabouts, by the way, in terms of the hierarchy within your siblings, are you somewhere in the middle?
1: In the hierarchy of are London. you the el-
0: are you the eldest number sister? Two. Are you the- number two. Number what, so what are you? I- I'm number one. Ah. <laughs> I'm number one in every sense of the word, Vix.
1: Oh, um, of course, of course. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I just, the reason I asked the question is because I was interested to know if kind of as somewhere in the middle, you know, the middle child, um, whether that was like an influence on, on you. So, uh, you know, your, your experiences of life, accountancy background, what, what made you decide to make the complex simple? And I, and I love, um, I love the title of your, the title. I, I love the name of your business, Money Badassery. Um, and, you know, you've, you've, um, you've talked about the financial G-spot. There'd be a lot of people cowering in the corner going, I can't believe she just said that. But I, <laughs> I love the fact that it's it's modern and it's refreshing and it's and it's relevant and people understand it. Um, I've come across a lot of people who don't know the first thing about money and would really benefit from listening to, to what you have to say. So how do you make really complex subjects? You know, as I said in my introduction, economics is a dry subject, let's be honest. People don't wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I really want to start dealing with my money today. So typically, how do you, how do you start that process of education so that people get to grips with money? And I want to talk about this concept of becoming rich, because a lot of people have different ideas of what that means. But how do you, how do you help people transition from knowing very little? to having the kind of depth of knowledge and experience that you've got? And sorry, that was a very long-winded question. I didn't mean it to last that long. Yeah, no,
1: I got it. And I think, yeah, I mean, for a start, the first thing I'll say is that it's not rocket science. And I think, you know, we, because we're not taught personal finance at school, and also because often our parents aren't knowledgeable really about how to manage their money. And, you know, if you look at money mindset and you ask people about, you know, how money was managed in their families, And, you know, people come up with things like my parents argued over money or we never had enough or, you know, we didn't have enough to pay the rent or my parents bought me anything I wanted. I mean, we all have all these things that have happened to us in our, our, particularly during our childhood, which are very influential years. But in my mind, that's not rocket science. It's actually easier than people think. But I think because we haven't been taught personal finance at school, we're all a bit scared about it and don't know what to do. And what I always say is that knowledge is power. And the best thing we can do is educate ourselves. So educate ourselves about personal finance. You know, what are the basics of personal finance? And I'm writing a book at the moment, and it hasn't quite got a title yet, but it's something like, you know, a guide to becoming financially savvy, you know, knowledge is power. That's kind of the working title. And it was really about the pillars of personal finance, the things that people need to understand. And I find that once people start to learn these things, they realize that actually it's 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 not that complicated. But you know, again, it's it's not gonna happen overnight. You're not gonna become financially savvy overnight. It's a process, and but you do have to take that action or have the intention that you want to educate yourself about it. Mm. I and also mentioned- and just and add one more thing to that, and also I think you know, also as an adult. One of the reasons why it's really important is so that you can then impart that knowledge to your children because your children aren't being taught this at school. So it's your responsibility as a parent to teach that to your children.
0: Couldn't agree more. I've mentioned a couple of times the word rich uh, only because I see it pop up on your uh, your CV and your website uh, quite a lot. So a lot of people go, well, you know, I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. I can't possibly achieve any degree of financial success. So I guess my question, Vix, is, is the term rich associated with financial success, in your opinion, talking earlier about this balance in life, you know, not leaving it all behind, but you know, not living um, in a destitute fashion for, the, for your entire existence. So is it is it about money? Is it something more than that? Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it emotional? Is it is it financial?
1: I think it's all of those. And you know, I mean, rich or wealth, whatever word you want to use, but let's just say, use wealth. I mean, Financial wealth is money, but there's lots of, wealth has lots of different definitions. So wealth has lots of different definitions and it means different things to different people. So you're right, it could be time wealth, which is freedom. I think that's my number one, actually. Social wealth, which is relationships, you know, um, mental, physical, emotional wealth, which is health, spiritual wealth, which is spirituality. These are all important. But one of the things I do say about money or financial wealth is it's, it's an enabler. You know, money can buy you freedom. It can buy you time because you can pay people to do things and, and buy time back for you. Um, in many ways, it can also help you with health because you know you can pay for private health care if necessary, because sometimes you have to wait a long time um, for things on the National Health Service. So, but money is money's neutral energy. It's a tool. It's a tool that we can use to help create and live the life we want. And it depends on what you want. I mean, many people, when I talk about retiring rich, it's your own definition of rich. Many people want a little cottage by the sea and have a garden and just have a see friends and family and have a quiet time. Well, those people don't need to save as much money for their retirement as somebody who wants to, you know, have like me, who wants homes (laughs) in more than one country, wants to be able to go summer to summer. And so I need to be able to travel. You know, I've traveled a lot now. I want to continue that. So it really depends on what you want. So, you know, if you think about retiring rich, for me, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have millions in the bank. It means that you're going to create and build the life that you want for your definition of rich. So it's a very, very personal thing. And, you know, personal finance I mean, there's a reason it's called personal finance. I mean, the word personal is in there. So it's very personal to you and what you want. And I think that's the main thing. You know, you need to have a clear vision of how you want your life to be and then put a plan in place so that you can
0: achieve that. That is, that's going to be an epiphany for a lot of people listening today. As I was listening to you, I was thinking, do you know what that makes such obvious sense to me? Because you know, even somebody who's involved in in the financial world never really thought about it in that way. And and this goes back to what you said earlier, Vix, about aligning your values and what you want to achieve with your your plan rather than just be told, you know, you need to save tax, you need to buy property, because if it's not aligned, then you're not going to enjoy the process. Yeah. So um, I mean,
1: I've bought property because that's what I wanted. I've known I've wanted to travel. I know I want to follow the sun. I mean, it's because I know that I I need to build the wealth I need to live the life I want.
0: Mm. So is that
1: not everyone's like me?
0: No. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not sure what the world looked like if they were all as clever as you, but um, (laughs) is there, Vix, is there a misconception with investing? You know, average person feels it's out of of their reach for some reason. You you know, you've talked about eight properties. You've talked about stocks and shares. You've talked about Bitcoin. I still don't even know what Bitcoin is and I've tried my best to understand it. But, um, you know, is there, is this disconnect between people thinking, to your earlier point, you know, I, I'm I'm average Joe. I, I can't possibly think about Bitcoin or buying stocks and shares. Um it, 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 is there a general misconception around money? Yes.
1: yes, I think people see investing as being very difficult. And interestingly, there's actually an investment, uh, a gender investment gap. More actually, men are more comfortable with investing than women. Women tend to have money in the bank, you know, like in their savings account, but as you know. Interest rates are historically low right now. You're lucky if you get half a percent interest. Whereas if you invest in stocks and shares, like the average kind of return over time is around 7%. So you then benefit from compound interest. But what you can do if you want to invest in stocks and shares, people are like, but what stock or share do I invest in? I don't know which one to pick. You actually don't have to pick one. You can invest in funds. For example, in the UK, we have the FTSE 100, which is the 100 largest by market capitalization companies in the uk so if you invest in that fund you get a little bit of each of these companies so you are spreading your risk among the 100 largest companies in the uk and that's you know for for people who are starting out that's a really really good way to to get involved and you can do this within an isa if you're in the uk which has tax advantages but and once you do that, and you don't have to start big, you could start at £10 a month or £20 a month and then, you know, watch what happens. And the other thing, to be really clear about the market, people are like, oh, but but what if the stock market crashes? I mean, but the reality is the, mar- the market goes up and down. It ebbs and flows. But over time, if you look at the overall tra- trajectory, it's generally up. And you can't really time the market. Some people are saying, oh, wait until a good time to buy. It's like, well, I don't know when's a good time to buy? People ask me all the time, is now a good time to buy stocks or shares? Mm. I don't know. Is it going to go up or is it going to go down? I mean, you know, unexpected things happen like COVID. The market dropped with COVID. Mm. But every time we have a market dip, it ultimately goes up. Um, and some, sometimes it takes longer than others, but ultimately goes up and over in general, you're getting around about a 7% return on your investment over time. Mm. But you need to be in for the long-term. I mean, don't go and buy stocks and shares and think, I need to sell those in a year's time for my house deposit because if the market drops, you haven't got time for that to recover to t- before you take your money out. So you need to think about whether it's kind of long-term investing or short-term mm. and what you might need that money for.
0: And I guess, Vix, you'll, you'll know this from your own experience of working with women, that um, and, and men, we're all the same, built built the same way, but there is a strong emotional uh, attachment to money. Where, for example, everyone decides to buy Bitcoin when it's sixty thousand dollars, or buy property at the top of the market, or stocks and shares when you know we're at historical highs. I realise that um, there's an element of, to your point, about time in the market. You know, keeping money invested for the long term, and clearly, you're not going to invest money. In the short term, if you think you might need access to it, because that adds to the risk and the volatility. Um, but what do you say to people who kind of go, right, well, I'm going to I'm going to dive into Bitcoin now at $60,000 or um, because what I see is a lot of very financially successful people almost doing the opposite to the majority of people, you know, buying property when everyone else is selling or um, buying travel. You know, let's let's use a, um, a relevant topic, buying travel stocks. Uh, just after the um COVID has a massive impact on the travel sector. Um, is there an element of timing as well as time in, if I can well, express the, it like that?
1: There can be, but I think the I mean, we see these, you know, top investors who are in the in the media and they're very focused on you know, one particular area and they're really timing it. I mean, Warren Buffett, for example, he can do that he is incredibly knowledgeable, but for your average person on the street, it's better to be diversified and understand that you probably can't time the market because unless you're following someone who's really good at doing that, and that's why I say it's about time in the market because you're average person, we're never gonna have that kind of level of knowledge that Warren Buffett has. And so I would say for the average person, it's about time in the market mm. because you know yeah. there's lots of things, aren't there, like about property, I mean, I'm one of them. I actually thought that property would prices would drop after COVID. They haven't at all, quite the opposite. And and particularly outside of London because people are moving outside of London. So, you know, if I was looking at buying property and trying to time the market, I would be now be in a situation like, oh no, that property I wanted to buy is now more expensive. So, and then maybe maybe it will drop next year, who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, even some of these top investors are getting it wrong. But what they work on is kind of um, probability. They might get it wrong. You know, as long as they get it right, sixty or seventy percent of the time, they make money. Yeah. So, in some ways, the way we, as you know, lower fledglings, <laughs> the way we can kind of do the best is to be diversified, and that's why investing in funds is good, and not try and time the market. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend trying to time the market unless you're incredibly knowledgeable.
0: Yeah, good point. I, are you, you, you've come onto this guest. Uh, of your own volition, you haven't been dragged, screaming, and kicking. So we're aware that we're not paying you for your time. But if I could, if you could just indulge me for a second, Vix. There's a lot of people that listen to this podcast now, I'm very proud to say. And there will be people glued to um, to this podcast, waiting for a little snippet of information from Vix Munro as to how they might get started. So I want to secure a better financial future for myself. I've been a bit Vix Munro at the age of 23, spent all my money probably starting out whatever age what what are the first steps I could look to take to secure that financial future for myself that that lovely balance the alignment between what I want and uh, and what I need what what would be the what would, would be those initial stepping stones that you would encourage somebody to lay out for themselves to achieve some kind of financial success
1: the first thing I would advise people to do is understand your current financial position, which is kind of called your net worth. Write down everything you own, everything you owe, and look at where you are. And obviously, if you've got debts, particularly the debts with high interest rates, you and this is bad debt. I'm not talking about mortgage debt because mortgage debt is usually associated with an investment. Then look at paying, potentially look at paying that back. Um, also look at having an emergency fund if you don't have one. I think many people were caught out by COVID, you know, lost their um, income, lost some of their sources of income, didn't have any kind of funds in place, and then start looking at investing for the future. And I think I said earlier, one of the best places to start with investing is investing in funds, which is a group of stocks and shares. And that can be something like the FTSE 100 in the UK, S&P, or the NASDAQ in the US. I mean, there's funds for all different countries. And that's a good way to get exposure to stocks and shares, but to a large number of um, companies rather than having to try and pick your one company.
0: Mm. Hopefully, some of my clients are listening. I've been telling this for 31 years. Um, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to send a link to all my clients as well. Um, I'm f- unfortunately sad, though I am to say this, Vix. Uh, time is up. Uh, wish, oh, I no, wish that it went wasn't. Quickly. It <laughs> did, but that's what happens when you're having fun. Um, yeah. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your time with us. I do, however, have a couple of final questions. Um, question number one, which is very important, because I'm sure you're going to get absolutely swamped with inquiries. Um, but the first and most important question is: How do we find out more about Vix Monroe, uh, money badassery, and all these other lovely concepts you've got? So, if you want to check you out. Uh, is, there a, is there a website? Is Are there social media links? How do we find out about you and how do we connect with you?
1: Okay, yes. So my website is moneybadassery.com. I have a Facebook page called Retire Rich. I'm on LinkedIn as Vix Munro and on Instagram at, at Vicks.Monroe. Unfortunately, someone got the Vix Munro before me there.
0: <laughs> so they're my
1: main um, social media
0: places. That's another thing we've got in common. Somebody stole my Instagram name as well. I'm I'm Sandro Forte everywhere, apart from Instagram. I'm I'm yet to track down this this culprit. Yeah, I know. I can't
1: believe it because Vix Monroe oh. and same as Sandro Forte. They're not they're not common names.
0: Well, you're Vicks Vix V I X. So yeah, I mean I, you wouldn't expect to come across too many of them. So that yeah, that's really frustrating. I feel your pain there, Vix.
1: Yeah, um, I'm glad.
0: <laughs> and then the final question, and I'm really interested in this one, uh, based on well you you've got quite a backstory i mean uh the loss of two of your siblings and your mum at a very very early age and although you had a lot of fun debt and all the worry and anxiety that goes with that so based on all of that amazing life experience in a relatively short space of time because you're still a young woman um if a younger version of you came up to you one day and said tell me one thing above all else give me one piece of advice a mantra if you like a a a rule to live by, what would the one piece of advice be above everything else, Vix?
1: Lifelong learning, education, educate yourself. I mean, I think I mentioned actually that, you know, back in the 90s, late 90s, I read the book by Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that came out in 97. And then I bought my first investment property in 1999. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, So, and I've read a lot of personal finance books since. And there's a lot, and also like... Doesn't just have to be books; it can be courses, mentoring, anything like that. But I think for young people, books is a really good place to start because you know they're cheap, and actually you can get a lot of knowledge from them. So, yeah. and I'm still learning now. I mean, I'm still educating myself.
0: I love the fact, uh, and I'm, I'm probably speak for a lot of listeners today, who would have read the introduction to you before they listen to the podcast, and probably thought, as I said once again, no disrespect must have thought economy money investing getting rich i'm i'm not sure about this but i i'm absolutely sure i speak for everyone who's listening today um and it's probably been for many a real watershed moment because you've made a very complex subject very simple and i i know i now know why you're as successful as you are and so many women in particular come to you for advice and, and coaching and guidance on achieving greater financial success let's put it like that so Vix Munro, uh, Vicks Monroe, uh Vicks. Monroe. On Instagram. Um, and, yeah, if you uh if you find whoever it is that's stolen my name, I'll I'll try and return the favor by trying to find out who stole it. Yeah, yours. we'll have um, you. Yeah. <laughs> but look forward to connecting. I it's it's been a joy speaking to you. I'm so glad we were introduced. Really, really, I, I mean I've learned a lot. I've benefited from the podcast today. I know a lot of other people have as well. So Vix Munro, all that remains is for me to say thank you so much for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today.
1: And thank you for having me.